Test one, two. Okay, we're back. Great, thank you. You know, if you look at nature, everything goes in cycles. When you look at uh, just animals, they, they reproduce. They, there's new new generation. It comes, it goes, another generation. It just keeps going. Of course, we do have extinction and other things. But the newness of something in general, inside, the newness of it is simply we forgot that. You know, it's been before. Now, I know we look at technology... Our generation has a little bit of something more to be proud of. Never has there been technology like this. And I'd say that's probably true at one level. But really, does all this technology make our lives any better? Are we any safer in the world because of technology? You know, it used to be if someone wanted to kill you, they had to be, you know, pretty close to you. Now they can kill you at a distance. You know, it used to be if, uh, you know, your savings were in a bag under your bed or in a hole in the wall or in a special brick in the fireplace. I mean, you know where they were. Now they're digital and they can disappear. 
know your bank invested in the Bank of Iceland. Just to be real. And then what happens, okay? Has all this knowledge, has it made the world better? And see, if you really look at things, it just keeps cycling. Has wealth made people more generous or compassionate? You know, these are good questions because there are good people and there are selfish people. The world is full of different kinds of people. And the technology and wealth and society doesn't change those things. You know, the, the Bible describes end times. Jesus talks about this. There'll be wars, rumor of wars, nation rising up against nation, famines and earthquakes. And of course, we have people right now, this is the end. I just got an email telling, saying a date of when the world is going to end. Next year, I think it was March 21st, next year it's over. You know, but I remember getting emails over the years. You've seen these messages. People choose a date. They say it's going to be that way. You know, one of these days somebody might be right, but it's not because they knew anything. It's just going to be randomness. You know what I'm saying? But see, the fact is, if you actually look at the world, we've been in the last days, the last times, for 2,000 years. You know, sometimes it's worse than others. But the general trend is a lot things going on in the world. And it would seem the more power any person or group of people have doesn't often make the world better. So you can understand Solomon taking a step back, looking at the world, he goes, everything's kind of meaningless because it just kind of keeps going. Shouldn't it be getting better? There's no real answer. Let's read a little further, starting in verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now it's interesting because even a brilliant guy like Solomon uses exaggeration. Because no one's seen everything done under the sun. But he's saying that because... He just, I've seen it all. You know, you ever feel like you've seen it all? But he said, it's all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Now it says, it talks in the book of Ecclesiastes about everything done under the sun. And what that phrase simply means is things that happen to us in normal human life. These are the things under the sun. But he also talks about the chasing after wind. I don't even actually know. Do you know of anyone who's ever chased after wind? I mean, if you chase after wind, the question is, why? Like, like if you got it, what are you going to do with it? Like, what is chasing after wind? It's, it's fruitless. I mean, winds, you can't grab wind. Oh, I got it. Well, the moment I've trapped the air that was moving, it's no longer wind. You know, what, what's the point? Chasing after wind. I've, I've seen a dog chase their tail. That's pretty pointless. But chasing after 
wind. What, what are we chasing after? What has got our attention? What are we focused on? He's asking some good questions. He says, nothing seems to change. Now, he makes an interesting statement here. What is twisted cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. And you think, what does that mean? But human wisdom, because it's incomplete, can't be a measure for all wisdom. In other words, if, if I get something wrong, if I've got something wrong in my conscience or my understanding, then how can I understand what's right? Because I, what I think is actually wrong. And here's the human dilemma. I can be 100% convinced I'm right. You ever been there? And then find out I'm wrong. You ever been there? You know, being convinced doesn't make you right. Oh, we got some convinced people in this world. And they're convinced of crazy things. But they're so convinced, it's convincing. I mean, when they stand up and they speak and they got so much conviction, you're just like, well, it's got to be true. Look how convicted they are. But see, the truth is, human humanity, you can be certain, but that doesn't make you right. Because how do you know unless God has given you some kind of message? You know, I studied physics back in, in university, and one of the sayings I liked about physics was, for every answer, there are two more questions. You know, every time you get an answer, every time you know something, then actually from that vantage point, you can see something further. Or at least you know there's another question. It keeps you looking. Think about this world God has made. How many different degrees does the University of Birmingham offer? I don't know. It's a rhetorical question. But it's got to be 90. I don't know. It's got to be a fairly big number. And how many people can study even more than one of those at the same time? A couple of people manage to maybe do two. But say there's 90 different fields of study, and then you do your three years and you get a bachelor's degree. There's still master's degrees, still PhDs. There's still, you know, this is people studying what? What God made in a second. They're studying all of this, and it's like there's no end. That's how the book of Ecclesiastes ends. To the writing of books, there is no end. And all the students said, Amen. Okay. You know, it's interesting. David's known for his Psalms. But Solomon's known for his Proverbs. And if you look at the Psalms of David, because they're about the heart of God, they're, they're trying to connect with the heart of God, they're so different. And they're consoling, they're comforting. There's not a lot of comfort in the book of Ecclesiastes. But there's a good asking of questions. If we are certain, why are we certain? Solomon did write two psalms we know of. One of them was a request for the ble- God to bless the king. It's a little bit self-seeking. Here's the psalm I want everyone to, 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 to learn. Uh, here's the first line. God bless the king. A song of Solomon. Okay. Then the other one's a little more accurate and, 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 and does kind of connect into the book of Ecclesiastes. Saying, if God isn't with you, what's the point? Psalm 127, if God doesn't build the house, the laborers work in vain. If God doesn't watch over the city, the watchmen work in vain. In vain you get up early and go to bed late, because God gives sleep and food to those he loves. <sighs> There's some good truth in that. that that's, that's, that's comforting, that message. 
See, Solomon believed in God, but it's not clear he was in love with God. Solomon knew God existed, but where's the connection? And the great news is, God has given us a way to connect through Jesus Christ. I want us to turn to Mark chapter 6. And here we're going to read about another king in Jerusalem. Uh, By no means as wise as Solomon. This is King Herod. And King Herod had an opportunity to learn from a prophet of God, to actually sit at a prophet's feet, to ask questions, to have even Scripture explained to him. Can you imagine having John the Baptist as a house guest? Wow, wouldn't that be cool? Of course, he did give John a bottom room in the cellar. I guess really it was even a prison. But, but John was in his house, or in his compound. John was there. And King Herod actually had the freedom to go talk to John anytime he wanted to. Let's read and see what happens. Mark chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 17. It said, Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had John bound and put in prison. Herod did this because of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now you've got to appreciate John the Baptist here. Was he taking the easy road? The king was living adulterously, and John the Baptist had a conviction it was wrong, and he, convic- and he challenged the king. So Herodias nursed, nur- sorry, nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, Yet he liked to listen to him. How do you like to listen to somebody who's telling you that you're wrong? Unless somewhere inside of you there's a little voice going, I think he's right. I think God may have sent him. There's a reason why his words hurt me. It says he was puzzled. You know, he he didn't really understand it, but he knew intuitively John was offering an answer to a question. But what was that question? What was it really all about? Herod was puzzled. Verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Boy, it must have been one amazing dance. Half half his kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. Now think about this. John had got under Herodias' skin, hadn't he? I mean, the daughter's being offered half the kingdom. And what's she want? The prophet's head on a plate. Wow. She was bothered. She was responding to the truth that John was preaching. Herod was at least curious. Herod at least realized, there's got to be something in it. Herodias is like, I don't want to hear it. You know, sadly, truth gets responded to. And we can't control how other people respond to it. 
Verse 25, at once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went and beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. You know, what's the point? People aren't necessarily going to love you if you speak the truth. Speaking the truth doesn't make you popular. Now, for those that want to hear the truth, they'll love what you say. But if people don't want to hear it, there's going to be a response to it. God wants us to be certain. He wants us to be certain of His love. And how did He make that clear to us? Well, we just celebrated the communion. And that's how. It's through the cross. It's through the sacrifice of His Son. And as Chris was talking, it it wasn't just about that moment on the cross. It was everything that led up to it. It was giving up heaven and becoming flesh. Let's turn over to John chapter 1. Because God wants us to be certain. Absolutely certain of His love. Of His commitment to us. He wants us to know how much He values us. So look in John 1. Just This is again just setting up the scene. Who is this Jesus? John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who was Jesus? He was God. And He gave up that equality with God to become a man. The Word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen His glory. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. That's what God wants us to see about Him. The message that came through Jesus is grace and truth. Through Jesus, God offers us the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The perfect answer for every question. The solution to every difficulty. What the book of Ecclesiastes is asking, Jesus answers. He is the answer. Look over in John 3.16. John 3.16 is often called sort of the mini-gospel. The gospel in in a single sentence. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Don't we have an amazing God? The God who would give His Son part of Himself came out from Him and became flesh and lived among us and suffered at our hands, at the hands of people just like us. You know, often we kind of like to think, I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done that. We can find all of us somewhere ourselves in the Gospels. 
Sometimes we look back at Adam and Eve and think, I can't believe they blew it. If I'd been in the garden, I wouldn't have blown it. Really? We've all had our little forbidden fruit somewhere along the road. And we ate it. And actually, there's enough different people reacting to Jesus' you know, situation. We can find ourselves there. They all said, we'll never desert you. And they did. Uh, we know what it means to make a decision to do what is right and then not do it. We've fallen short of that glory of God. We've sinned. But see, through Jesus, we have hope. That's the gospel. He brought grace and truth. Look what it says a little further, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Do you want to be sure of your salvation? Jesus came to make that certain, because you can't doubt God. How can you doubt God when He sent His Son to die on a cross for us? How can you doubt that? How can you doubt His willingness to forgive when Jesus on the cross looked down at those who'd hammered the nails in Him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If that is the heart of God, how can we doubt His heart? See, the cross... If you're willing to accept it, makes the heart makes God's heart certain. But there is a message. You've got to come into the light. You've got to believe. The cross just doesn't solve all the problems, and no one knows about it. The cross is an invitation into the light of God, into a relationship with God. You must respond to that. Without that response, you won't be in the light. Because God doesn't force you in, He invites you in. How does He invite you in? By saying, trust me. Do you see how much I love you? There's nothing you can't be open about. Nothing you can't confess. I love you. I value you. Come in to the light. Live in grace and in truth. It's funny because... We like the message, but we don't like the fact that there's also a tough side to this message. Poor John the Baptist. It was a lousy time to be a preacher of righteousness when the king was living in adultery. Bad timing. Bad timing. But you know, what's it like to know the truth about the cross and live in the world we live in today? If you go back into Ecclesiastes, Solomon noted right at the end, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. You know, I can't think of anything that makes me more excited than the fact that Jesus died for my sins and that God forgives me through the blood of Christ. It's amazing! But with that knowledge, that wisdom, comes actually grief and sorrow because so many people won't accept it. And even so many people don't know it. And it's overwhelming sometimes just to think about 
The gospel needs to be proclaimed. The light needs to be shown. But who's going to do it if not us? We've got to get the Bible open with people and let the Bible speak. We've got to open up our lives to people and let them see God working in our lives. The message isn't just words, it's life. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. There's no other way. And so, with certainty, we can say, Hallelujah! Jesus died on the cross for me. It's awesome! That is the good news. But here's the tough side of it. It brings sorrow and grief. It's the only way. It's the only way. And out of love and compassion for the lost... There's something for us to do. You know, we can't make people's decisions for them. There's nothing we can do to make them change their mind. But I think the purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes wasn't so much as to give an answer as to pose a question. And that's what we need to do with our interactions with people. We need to get them thinking Sometimes we're ready to tell the answer, but nobody knows the question. James and I just had a chance to study the Bible with a guy from mainland China. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of looking right now, but, but he, he's, he's not engaged with his heart completely. But as we asked the questions, we saw him change in that study. His heart began to engage with the question, not just his mind, but his heart. And as his heart began to engage, guess what? He got more excited. It was so funny because we were talking about believing in things you can't see. And Luna, our dog, was kind of wandering around the dining room as we were doing it under the table, right? And three times already, Luna had brushed up against him and he was shocked. He looked under, oh, it's Luna. Three times. So fourth time, he jumps. And I go, it's Luna. And he looks, yeah. I said, see? Because we were talking about how, what it is to believe in something you can't see. He knows it's Luna. Nagging doubt inside. Is it? It might be something else. You know, I think there's a little nagging doubt in the lives of most people. They may act like they got it all together. They may think, this is what's going to really make me happy. But somewhere deep inside, there's a question. What am I building my life on? What is the truth? Let's not share with them an opinion. Let's share with them Jesus Christ. Jesus came so that we might see God's grace and truth. We are here so that people around us might also see it, so that we can share that grace and truth with each other. There's only one answer to life, and that is God. And there's only one answer to death, and that is God. God is our answer. Let's pray as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father, mighty God, we thank you that you are the God of the living and the dead, the God of those who have gone before us. And Father, we are so grateful for the clarity of the message of the cross. One, it just shows us how grievous our sins are. But two, it shows us how amazingly wide and broad and unfathomable is your love. 
that you would send your Son as the sacrifice for our sins. Father, we are so grateful for this message. It's a message that changes everything. And Father, we thank you that as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we also remember he rose from the dead. And thank you for that promise that you have given to us as well in Jesus Christ. That we can on the last day rise to be with you forever because of him. Father, this is a message that the world so desperately needs. And this kind of knowledge and this kind of wisdom increases sorrow and grief in our hearts because we see the condition of this world. Father, I pray that we can be full of compassion, that we can actually see the need of this world. I pray that we can be full of grace, that we'll pass on your unconditional love to others. And Father, that we will see the truth and that we will share the truth with as many as possible. Father, we can't control outcomes. But Father, we can do what you want us to, to be your people here on earth. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.